HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer Distributors. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at Heritage Radio Network. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, it's October 24th, 2017, and it's Cider Week in New York City. We're going to talk with uh, some special cider makers, Steve Sellen from South Hill and the Finger Lakes, uh, Peter Yee from Brooklyn Cider House, and Maria Kennedy from the Finger Lakes as well. So uh, this show is brought to you by Union Beer Distributors, suppliers of world-class ales and ciders. We're in the middle of Cider Week, New York. Uh, there's some great events happening tomorrow. The Hidden Stars at... Uh, Astra Center and our event, uh, Cider Feast, is Saturday at the Brooklyn Kitchen through Jimmy's Number Forty Three. dot com. So thanks for joining us here on the Heritage Radio Network. So let's everybody introduce themselves and say a little bit about what you're doing for Cider Week in New York City. I'm Steve Seelan. Um, I'm from South Hill Cider and Phonograph Cider, and uh, I've been here for a few days. Started out in Jersey City uh, at Worst Bar, which was a really awesome place to be if you haven't been there yet. And Murray's Cheese Bar. Um, you said they have over, they have twenty ciders on tap on the list, not on, on tap, list. no, but on the list. Yeah, Aaron, who who opened the place, worked in beer distribution and was familiar with Farnham Hill and some of the other great ciders from um, his experience with that. When he opened this place, he wanted to put cider heavy on the list, and he said everybody there thought he was crazy, but he's totally killing it. It's the worst so. in uh, Jersey City. You're really good about yeah. uh, getting in touch with people about your sales. You know, you're, you're very uh, proactive. Well, I'm really fortunate to have a great team with, I mean, Core Wine Company is a very small uh, distribution company, but they they are really, uh, really picky with what they sell, and they have a very small team, but they're really great at what they do, so. Great, man. Thanks I for coming on credit. the show. And our uh, next guest. Hi, everyone. I'm Peter from Brooklyn Cider House. Um, I was in the, the wine industry for, for a long time, for 25 years. And uh, I have been uh, in the cider industry now for uh, for three years. 
Um, our farm is located in New Pulse, New York, um, about 90 miles north of uh, the city. And uh, we are going to open up a cidery in Bushwick uh, in about a month. Very soon. Yes. That's exciting news. And I, I first met you and with Lindsay on your team about two years ago. You guys were just starting out, was it two or three years ago? Uh, three years ago. Just starting out in the New York City yeah, market. Right. So, Lindsay started after a year um, uh, after we, we opened. So, yeah, she's been there for about two years now. That's great, yeah. man. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, Maria. Hey. I'm Maria Kennedy. Um, I am the Folk Arts Coordinator of the Arts Council of the Southern Finger Lakes. It's a very long title. Um, but So I'm not a cider maker, but um, I've helped to uh, make cider a lively and exciting part of culture in the Finger Lakes. And I've been a long-time cider enthusiast. Yeah, I read you did a nice blog post last year about fruit, a Heritage Fruit Project or something. Yeah, Finger Lakes Fruit Heritage. It's an ongoing project we have at the Arts Council to document cider making, both the craft cider makers who are emerging uh, in the last 10 years, but also just uh, home cider making that people are doing in their backyards and trying to make the connection between the two to show how cider is really an important part of heritage well, in New York great. State. Let's raise our glasses to Cider Week New York. And then, Steve, so this, this show was inspired by you. You reached out to me a while ago. You wanted to talk about still cider. So my little intro is that I remember the first Cider Week New York 2011, our, our friend Steve Wood from Farnham Hill at the time, he was only selling still ciders. And then I think for the, the draft market, he, he started having a, a, a sparkling cider. And, and just a few years ago, I remember all my favorite, you know, Northeast regional fine ciders were all being made in a, in a sparkling style uh, in, in wine bottles. So, you know, why your interest in still cider? And, you know, tell, t let's talk about the styles and, you know, a little bit about the market as well between still and sparkling ciders. Yeah, my interest in, in still cider and talking about it comes from a lot of interactions I have with people when I'm pouring cider t to people, whether or not they've had cider before, like at a farmer's market, you're pouring cider. And so many people are surprised that cider can be still. They think that it inherently has bubbles in it. And so having this conversation over and over with people that cider, after you ferment it, is still and you pretty much have to put it through another process to create the bubbles uh, people are familiar with wine being still and being sparkling, and cider is is the same way. And then, um, you know, what are some of the historical, you know, regions that, that have still ciders? Well, that's a good question. Certainly in England. I mean, in Spain, right, Peter? Sure. Yeah. Asturias and um, the Basque region. Yep. Uh, but, but France, I've never had a still cider from France, so that's kind of curious because they certainly could be still... Uh, but the Is there a still French cider out there? Someone call. Let us know. Right. Let us know. <laughs> I'm very curious. And in the U.S., obviously, most ciders are sparkling, uh, but there are a number of, of good still ciders out there. I think, I think we'll see more still ciders as more and more cider producers have really great apples to work with because that's one of the things that is really essential in any great cider, but especially in a still cider, that you need really great fruit and, and also techniques to create a quality still cider that has balance and nuance. Much can be masked with bubbles. So I think when you're getting down to the still cider, it's like that's where you're tasting the real, the pure taste. And there's no, I have nothing against bubbles. I think they're great. 
But when you don't have them, that's when you really taste what's there. Do you think that people are, uh, like to drink cider on draft more because it's it's usually carbonated and they're getting more of a what they're do people expect to carbonate cider? Is that is that what you think? I think the the beer is carbonated, and a lot of the cider drinkers uh, have at one time or another <clears throat> drink uh, drank uh, beer, so they're kind of expecting carbonation there. Uh, and um, I agree with uh, Maria, but I, w- I wanted to just uh, take a, uh, just go back a little bit on the uh, the still cider. I think one of the reasons why most people make carbonated cider is it's very difficult to get quality apples because it, it is so pure and there's nothing to to hide you need to really use incredible apples but incredible apples are very difficult to come by those incredible apples i'm talking about are not incredible sweet apples it's the bitter and the sharp apples you need to to really uh bring character to cider that's a great point. And uh, Peter, let's take a step back. So what was your cider conversion story? I know you used to be in wine. I Since we're tying my, in still okay, cider sure, with, with wine, that's sure. a good talking yeah. point. Um, I, was, um, I was in the wine business for a long time. And being in the wine business allowed me to travel to, to many of the wine regions. So uh, my, my job was to, to visit different wine, wineries uh, in, in different wine regions and to, to taste uh, the different um, vintages uh, or current vintages of, of uh, wine. And I would um, make purchase decisions um, depending on, on the, the, the tasting. So I, I was a taster for, for a long time. I tasted probably somewhere in the neighborhood of three to 5,000 wines a year. And while I was in um, one of my wine trips, um, I, um, a friend of mine exposed me to cider. But it wasn't the first time that, that really uh, that I fell for c- cider. It was after a couple of tries, and it was like you know, a, few years down the ra- a few years down the line, I had the cider that changed my life. Um, and it was was at a restaurant, uh, and it was on, with food, uh, and under the right contact, uh, you can you can have this incredible cider that works well with so many varieties of food, and it touched me in a way. Wow, I I've never had a had a bottle of wine that could cover the the wide spectrum of food that the cider um, could. And this cider was the one that really touched, touched me in a way, wow, this is something that I really like. And, and as time passed by, I fell in love with that cider more and more. So I took some bottles home and, and had it again with different foods from, from, from New York. And it, it just paired well with, you know, I, I, I don't know of any wine that can pair well with, with steak, chicken, Fish, kimchi, sauerkraut. I mean, I, I can't name any. You can you can have a couple of different wines that that could pair well with all those dishes, but not one beverage. And that uh, ability to pair with with wide range of food 
just, it, 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 I, I was done. That, all I wanted to do was drink that cider, make that cider. Awesome. And now what, what's in our glass right now? So we're going to be drinking through a number of, of still ciders from South Hill. Steve, tell us about this, and, and is this the type of cider that Peter's talking about that goes well with so many foods? It, it is. It, it goes well with a lot. This one is called Palm Sur Lee. And it's a cider that I intentionally made. I wanted to make a still cider like this, something that had a lot of structure on its own that could stand up as something with no residual sugar, with no fining, no filtering, just just make a cider that when it's fermented and just left to its own devices becomes a stable, high-quality drink and something that would possibly age well. and that so that includes um, incorporating very specific apples that are very scarce and hard to come by. There's a lot of wild apples in there. There are a lot of crab apples, uh, the Manchurian crab, which Peter actually the first time he tasted this cider, he totally called it out and asked me if that apple was in this cider. Um, and um, yeah, so it's yeah, it's dry, it's still, it's great at room temperature, um, and it's aging aging very well. Um, with very little intervention and very little sulfur. So that's the difference. With, with, with still cider, you, you can drink it at room temperature. It seems like with, with sparkling ciders, you really need to drink them really cold. Mm-hmm. And also, I want to bring up the fact that this type of cider, still cider, you, we have no idea how long it can age. It could, it, you know, when, when it's made uh, without too much intervention, and if you use incredible fruit, my feeling is it could age and it could even transform into a, a different beverage altogether, just like how the Burgundies, the Bordeaux, uh, the Riojas can. So, you know, the, these, a lot of these wines actually lose a lot of the fruity character and they pick up more of the uh, the secondary and tertiary flavors of like leather, spice, forest, forest floor, mushrooms, and truffles. So who knows? You know, it's possible that, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years from now, you know, we can find out that Cytus could actually age just, just as long as wine. Yeah. And Maria, t- and tell us more about you. I, I, I've known your name from Cider Week for many years. <laughs> Um, you know, you, you're known as an expert. What got you started on cider? Well, I think um, my my conversion story takes place in England. I was there doing research for my dissertation on environmentalism and agriculture, and I happened to be in Herefordshire and uh, got interested in orchards. And someone uh, who I met said, oh, you got to come over to this orchard. There's so many different types of apples. He's growing, he's conserving all these varieties. It's really interesting. So I showed up and we went and uh, walked through the orchard and it was a really blustery February day. And after we had collected some scion wood to send off to some other people, we went back into the barn and there were just hundreds of barrels. And he got out a turkey baster and just started popping open some of these barrels and tasting all of these ciders. And so naturally, they were all still. They weren't carbonated. They were still in the barrel. And there were so many different flavors and names and varieties I'd never even heard of. 
And it was just, and it was a conversion for me too, because I was like, wow, I had no idea there was this variety. It was really, it was a moment. <laughs> That's great. Steve, let's, let's taste another one of your ciders and keep talking about still. So I'm, I'm getting your point, Peter. I mean, this is like wine to me and um, I'm enjoying it. You know, what about pairing this type of cider with, with food? You know, Steve, are you doing any cider dinners or any particular pairings that? Oh, we did a do? great dinner last night at Huerta's um, on, uh, I think it's First Ave East Side. And most of the mm. courses had, had duck prepared in one way or another, which is another just amazing pairing. I mean, pork is, is a no-brainer with cider, but, but duck is, I mean, mm. ah. Yeah, so, um, so that was great. That was last night. Sorry you all missed it, but it was a great dinner. Um, I'd love to do it. You got to go to cidernyc.com and check out all the happenings. There are more cider dinners. There's coming so up much this going weekend, on. Yeah, so check it out. And then and styles of bottle. So again, you've got traditions. You know, there's you guys have the 750, like a tr- typical Burgundy wine bottle. But then there's like Justin said, this is like a Riesling style bottle for your next cider. Right. So I chose the I chose the Burgundy bottle for the Palm Sur Lee because it was, it was a cider that I was making. I wanted it, it to be bone dry. I put a lot of very tannic apples in there. I knew I wanted it to go through a secondary fermentation for stability. And so I put in so much acidic apples that when it went through the secondary fermentation, it would still have enough acid to stand up. And I wanted that tannic structure to be a big part of it. And I put it in some French oak barrels uh, that I get from a local winery that makes great Pinot Noir. And so in my mind, I was trying to make a cider that resembled Pinot Noir, something like that. And so that's why I chose that bottle. And then the Riesling bottles, I put ciders that are more uh, structured based on their acid, you know, like a dry Riesling. We have a lot of great Riesling produced in our region, and they go into these Hock bottles. And so I wanted – it's hard when you go into a, a shop to buy cider – to know what the cider is going to taste like. That's one of the problems we have is as consumers, you don't know what that cider is going to taste like. Where with wine, you might know, okay, this is a Riesling or this is a Pinot Noir. So you have a preconceived notion what it might taste like. Cider, we don't really have that. And so by choosing a bottle that somehow correlates with wine, I thought might be a way to help people. If someone likes Riesling and they look at this wine, even if they don't know it, they might think, oh, yeah, I like that kind of wine. That's in that kind of bottle. So that's great. We're off to a great start. We're gonna take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, Sheehan Family Companies, formerly L. Knife & Son, acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn. Union Beer has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Brooklyn and parts of Queens through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Staten Island, and Long Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. 
Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education at all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the seven counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. Talking about Cider Week events in New York City, uh, Thursday this week, October 26th, uh, Dan Bucci, uh, our, our favorite uh, palmier in New York City, is hosting a, a talk about Newtown Pippins uh, with Heritage Radio Network. Uh, I guess you can check it out, what, David, on heritageradionetwork.org? Thursday, that's happening. Thursday, yeah. yeah. We're going to get tickets, though. Uh, HeritageRadioNetwork.org, I believe uh, there's a link for tickets. Or you go to Cider Week NYC, but look it up. Yeah. It's the Newtown Pippin event. That's a pretty great one. So we're looking forward to that. And we're talking about still ciders. Steve, you're kind of steering us down the right path where when I go into a nice, we're talking about nice you know, wine shops and, and specialty you know, restaurants. We're not going to talk about supermarket buying or you know, being at a, a, a pub. But, you know, I'm in a nicer wine shop or a restaurant. You know, I don't know what a, what a cider is going to taste like. Sometimes you can do tastings. But I think we're onto something that, you know, we should get, talk about basic styles, you know, sparkling or, or, or still. Um, what is it about still cider that, that can make it better, that can make it stand out, that can really help this industry, you know, position it as as a beverage for food as something that you want to have in a restaurant peter you started talking about it let's go in that direction is, is still cider good for the the industry is that something we should be promoting i don't know because i haven't i haven't had a still cider in in a, in a couple of years yeah well from that concept one of the i guess benefits of it is that certainly i think still ciders are a little bit more accessible to certain wine drinkers there are some wine drinkers that respond very well to still ciders because I think it has more in common with what they're already used to. Um, I'm I, I would definitely agree. Um, as soon as there is um, carbonation in cider, people automatically just associate it as champagne or cava or prosecco. So um, not cider uh, in, in the in the wine world. It's it's different. I think in the in the beer or uh, in the bars uh, where they specialize in, in, in draft beer. But in the, in the wine world, yeah, as soon as they see that carbonation, they think it's champagne. Yeah. And, then, and there's some ciders on draft that you think are beer. You know, like Graf Cider up in Hudson Valley is making great stuff. But you know, they, they make versions, a Goza cider. You, you, a lot of customers think they're a beer. Right. But, um, you know, this is interesting, Peter. So now to your products, Brooklyn Cider House, this is your cider. Um, it's a Spanish-inspired cider. Sure. You, you poured it, high-poured it to aerate. Talk, talk about this cider. And a little bit about what you guys are doing up there. I don't really know. I know you have you have farm. You're near New Paltz. You're opening uh, very soon your actual cider house in Brooklyn. Tell us what you guys are doing up there. So up in New Paltz, uh, it's a 200-acre um, farm. Uh, and we, we grow apples uh, up there. So we, we have uh, devoted half of the orchard to, to growing apples. So it's, it's a 100 acres of uh, apple, apple trees. Um, we, we have pick your own. So people are out there um, picking apples. Um, and uh, we have a tasting room. We have a, uh, 
a little restaurant where we serve uh, wood fire um, pizzas and burgers. That sounds great. Um, so it's it's uh, it's it's a beautiful uh, place to take your family and to to go apple picking and, and taste cider and. It's also uh, near like uh, Minnewaska and Mohonk, and there's great uh, trails there for uh, hiking and. Yeah, but what we're know. drinking, you know, this is what this is a is it a Basque inspired cider or so, Astoria yeah, inspired? Uh, sure. So th- this is actually um, it should be uh, consumed later, but we're kind of doing it this way. Uh, this this is the black belt of my cider. So it's it's the hardest one to understand. This is the cider that took me many tries to really understand. And I'm a taster, but I didn't really understand this. And, you know, my, my, my sister, um, Lindsay, uh, even, even my wife, they didn't really understand why I was so obsessed with this uh, cider. But this is a cider that it, uh, it takes a little time to, to really understand but when you try it, it says Brooklyn Cider House raw yes. cider. That's what you call it. Raw. Yeah, so it's it's Brooklyn Cider House raw, and this is meant to really uh, be consumed with food. So when you when you bring food to this, this cider just comes to life. Um, it's um, it's tart, um, it's refreshing. Um, it's fairly low in alcohol, so you can. What's you can the drink inspiration? A lot of it. Is it from a, a, a Basque style cider or Astoria style? Oh, the Basque, Basque, so the Basque style style cider. And then you actually, so this is another. Sti- I didn't. Re- I never thought of the Spanish ciders as still. Mm-hmm. So this is a still cider, but you high pour it. Yeah, to to break the cider to to give it just a little uh, carbonation. Yeah. And then does anyone give us a backstory on uh, different Spanish ciders? Is anyone familiar with it? it seems like Peter is. Did, did you have a Spanish cider maker working with you for a while? Well, when I first started the project, I, I did have um, a very good friend. Uh, his name was Mikel. And um, we started the project together, but he's uh, no longer uh, involved in the project. Um, we have Lindsay Storm and uh, my sister Susan. So, yeah, it's uh, three of us are really spearheading the yeah. uh, But the with process. this this bass style, you really need to, to, to high pour it and aerate a little bit. Yeah, it, it kind of makes it more sort of refreshing and it brings out the flavor. It, it makes um, it a little creamy, too. There's something, right? Mm. I mean, it changes the texture in a way that's not, like no other cider or wine I've had has that texture. It creates this like creamy texture, yeah. which is... Well, there there's nice. also like Manzanilla and Fino Sherry that you, you want to f- sort of break up a little bit, you know. Mm. And, uh, yeah, with with the bass cider, you definitely want to sort of, like, high pour this. You make a mess on the floor, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's worth it. <laughs> That's why you do it at your cider house. And uh, are all your s- ciders uh, Basque-inspired, or are you making different styles of ciders? No, I- I'm making different styles of cider. Um, this is really the cider that inspired me to, to go into the... The cider uh, industry, but uh, you know we we do make uh, other ciders, and you know I I, I also like ciders from uh, Normandy and Brittany, so and um, I like English ciders too. So you know I, I, I make different types of, of cider, but this is really the for me the the ultimate cider that I would love for people to really you know 
to, to get a chance Cheers, to man. taste. It's great in the glass. I wish I had some food. We'll have some food after. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about Cider Week events. So you're going to As Is, a great place on the west side of Manhattan. What's that event tonight? Yeah, that's tonight. That's something that um, Seth from East Hollow Cider just, just created in his head. He, he wanted to just get a bunch of us cider makers who who are just on a very small scale and, um, and produce ciders to get together in one place. So he had us all send some ciders down to as is and we're gonna we're gonna hang out tonight just a bunch of cider makers um there's no agenda other than having our cider there and hanging out and i'm looking forward to it because a lot of us cider makers get all spread out for cider week at our own events but tonight there'll be i don't know three four five of us all in one place at one time so it's it's nice seeing that the lineup of of restaurants and bars that are hosting like you know the special events this week like Mari's cheese bar is really hosting a lot of things as is 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 is, is a newer bar um that's pretty great maria let's talk about you so you know you're lucky to be in a place where there's so much great fruit you know give us a quick overview of of all the old historical or heirloom apple trees and forests and things that are in the finger lakes region well, the Finger Lakes are, I mean, a really just lively region to be for cider uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, we've got Cornell University, who's been doing apple research in the region for decades. Um, and we also have this amazing landscape of f- old farms that have been abandoned. Um, agriculture has changed over the last few decades and even the last century. And so all these small farms that settlers, you know, started in the 19th century have kind of been abandoned and there's orchards there. Uh, one of the regions that's right near Ithaca where Steve is, um, is the Finger Lakes National Forest. And this was an area that was turned into a national forest in the 19th well, it was the land was bought up by the government in the 30s um, because it was declared to be unsustainable for farming. During the Depression. Yeah. yeah. It was like subsistence farming was happening there, and they just weren't making it. Right? Well, yeah, there are a lot of, there's a lot of controversy about this, and this happened all over the country. Um, but so these uh, farmers, they sold their land to the government. The government turned it into a national forest. The buildings were raised. The apple trees are still there. And there was a period, at least through the probably the 90s, where there's a, a local cider mill called State Cider Mill, and people would bring fruit. They were foraging from the National Forest and the Connecticut Hill Wildlife Management Area in these old orchards to make homemade cider. So there's this long tradition in the area of making cider um, from various kinds of resources whether they're abandoned orchards or fruit farms and the wild apples like the finger lakes national forest is covered in thousands of wild apples that are offspring from these orchards that were planted up there in the 1800s by these subsistence farms and they're scattered everywhere and there's a number of us makers who just treasure those and we're starting to graft those varieties to keep them because they've gone through natural selection for decades if not centuries so they're at home there, and if we can find apples that are really good cider-making apples in this genetic pool, that's truly going to be American cider apples. They're at home here bringing varieties from Europe. You might bring great flavors over, but they're not so at home here, so they're not necessarily the easiest trees to manage on an organic, hands-off way. But all these wild trees, they've already gone through natural selection with our climate our diseases, our soils, 
And so, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. The There's some intrepid, like, Apple um, detectives, like Steve, like Eric, Eric Schatt from Redbird, like um, Autumn from Eves. And John Reynolds, too, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. they're, you guys are just, it's, so, it's, it's very exciting. You're, like, out there searching for the, the wild apples and, and then uh, propagating them. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd want to put a shout-out to Perry City Orchard for that, too. Definitely. Because they're actually a nursery and an orchard, and they're incredibly passionate and skilled. And they are probably grafting more of these varieties than any of us put together because we're giving them all our budwood. And so, yeah, I mean, what they're going to have in a few years is... And you check out... Amazing. I mean, Steve's out there. You, you're working in, in, in the field. You're working with the trees. You look at our at beer underscore sessions Instagram feed. I pulled a picture of you off the internet. You're on top of a tree cutting it. Is that what you're doing a lot this time of year? Are you, are you, is, is the harvest over? This time of year, it's all harvest. Yeah, yeah we're still, still harvesting. Harvest. Yeah, there's a lot of late varieties that are still either on the tree or even on the ground. The late varieties keep really well. So, no, the, the pruning, all, that all happens in the winter and, and spring. And this time of year, if you see me up in a tree, I'm, I'm shaking the apples out of it. Well, that's great. Hey, um, let's take another short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's Cider Week, New York City. Steve Sellen, not only are you a cider maker, orchard pruner, you're also a, a, a folk musician. Um, that's cool, man. Last year you were at the Orchard Street Celebration playing with your band. Um, you must get around, don't you? You're like cider guy and musician. I don't get around that much. <laughs> it's just usually when I come down here, I run into you, Jimmy, which is nice. Yeah. It's I funny, though. Fun. That's how we first met, though, because I run a fiddle festival, and that's how oh, I met, right. I, I, met yeah. I can't remember if I met you through cider or fiddling first, but yeah, yeah let's keep it early. Yeah, I think crossing. it was through the music, which music and cider are intertwined, absolutely, not just in Ithaca, but I mean, traditionally. In fact, Peter Hoover, who was a huge influence getting me... In, into cider. He planted a cider orchard 20 years ago. He's the one that t- took me to State Cider Mill that Maria mentioned earlier. Um, I mean, he was very influential getting me started with cider. I knew about him 10 years, 15 years before I even moved to Ithaca because he recorded some musicians down in Virginia, North Carolina back in the 50s. And so in the music scene that I'm in with fiddle banjo music, Peter Hoover is a famous name because he recorded and documented these folk musicians. And so it's kind of like a parallel, you know, you're out there looking for old apple trees or wild apple trees. And and Peter was out there looking for wild fiddle players. So you're doing a lot of things in Finger Lakes, Maria. So you're folk arts in general. 
Yeah, yeah, I do. I do a lot of different projects. Yeah, and then you said you're also working on like a, a special glassware, which might be good with still cider. So we did um, a really fun project with the Corning Museum of Glass, uh, where we paired up uh, three glass artists and three cider makers, and one of them was Steve. Uh, and we just sort of let them talk to each other and figure out how to make a, a piece of glassware that would really highlight not only the taste of the cider, um, but also the individual character of the cider makers themselves and what was important to them. And uh, it really was interesting that, you know, the different glass, I mean, we know this from wine, the different glassware helps you experience the wine in different ways. So we have a champagne flute for a sparkling and we have, you know, the big bowl glasses for um, burgundy. Um, and it's the same for cider. So we went through various iterations of these designs with the glass makers. And um, we were look at first we thought we were looking for the one cider glass, you know, the one glass that would really highlight the taste of cider uniquely. Um, but we we found that just like with wine, the different shapes of the glasses would would highlight different aspects of different cider. So we um, one of the designs looked kind of like a Stella glass, um, and that was turned out to be really great for the sparkling cider. And then we had one design for um, Eve's cider that was just totally wild and unique. It was like a stovepipe on top of a bulbous shape and it's like nothing I've ever seen before and it really influenced the way you experience the what, cider. Steve, what was your glass like? What, what ciders did you put in it? Mine was, it was a sparkling packed basket cider and that, um, yeah, it's a sparkling cider and so what we were looking at was was really trying to get aroma because that cider in particular has really phenomenal aroma and so we ended up with a cider that may be the glass she referenced which is a little bit more of like a Belgian beer shaped glass with basically a wine glass but with a with a flare on the end which allows allows you to get your nose inside the glass a little more what, what style of glass would you use for like one of your still ciders well that's a huge Same. question normally i i just use a, a white wine glass but now at home i'm using the same glass that we developed for that still cider because um i get some or developed for the pack basket because I get aroma out of it. I haven't had a chance to check out the glass that was developed with Autumn and her Albi Hill uh, with the still ciders, but I really hope to get a chance to do that because the maybe Maria can talk about the kind of interaction that happened between them. But maybe that's that's one we have to actually see. Next time you bring yeah. the glasses, okay, <laughs> and we'll taste them. And, and um, cheers. And a new buddy walked in, Brandon Palferman, who's a, a, a attorney who helps a one his side project, which he loves the most, is breweries and I guess cideries. You help with trademarking. Welcome yeah. to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been good a while. We, we've had a couple of really good uh, trademark shows with you over the years. So yeah, I'm always thrilled to be here. Great, man. All right, so we'll we're, we're keep talking. Um, again, uh, next next cider, Peter. This is something different. It's called Bone Dry from Brooklyn Cider House. Yes, uh, the next cider that that we have is. Uh, uh, as as the name uh, and Steve, we'll t we'll pop one more after this too. Yeah, so the name of the cider is Bone Dry, and uh, it it's very dry. It's uh, vinified. You know, there's no residual sugar in the in this cider. Uh, there's uh, tart apples. There's uh, bitter apples in here. Here, so you can kind of get that 
almost like a hoppy type of uh, character or in red wines the, the tannins so uh, yeah it's tart tannic um, and um, it, this one happens to be carbonated but I just didn't have another still cider in hand to 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 bring uh, to the tasting today but uh, it's, it's carbonated but it's uh, also very food friendly so first thing that comes to my mind is something fried fish like you know if, if it's like a like a hake or like an anchovy or, you know I don't know if you can visualize you know that fatty fish with this I can carbonated <laughs> bitter sharp Getting cider hungry. together it's and it's, it's just a perfect combination when you drink the cider also you can notice your mouth is just salivating and that's, uh, you know, it, it also um, sort of works up your appetite uh, as well. That's great. Maria, you know, with Finger Lakes, you know, traditions. Now we're talking about food. Uh, what's a favorite cider and food pairing for you? Ooh. I mean, I'm, I love cheese. I just can't get enough cheese ever. So, um Basically, cider and cheese for me. <laughs> I like the fried fish. That sounds really good. What about for you, Steve? I, jeez, it goes so well with so much food. I mean, I'd have to just go back to pork. Just some kind of. You said duck from the other night. Actually, yeah, duck. I don't cook duck at home much, but yeah, that may be the most memorable one I can remember for. So you come to New York years, City, you get yeah. duck, and what what would you cook at home? Pork. Uh, yeah, pork. It goes great with lamb. Mm. Yeah, I mean, ro we roast a lot of lamb. That's great with lamb. You know, when I was in England, one of my favorite things that you can't really get around here in the States is just, like, a meat pie. Like, I'd have a pheasant and apricot pie at the local pub with a tall glass of cider, and it was just, oh, man. Brenda, what about for you? If you had a cider, what would you want to eat with it? I, I gotta go with the fried food. Something something fatty to cut it, like a, I mean, like like a fried chicken sandwich. Like something butter, like a nice buttery roll, fried chicken sandwich. Pickles on there to cut it a little bit, and then cider to just clean it right out. Like the, I'm starving. Right, I haven't had dinner yet. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna stay afterwards. We'll stay at Roberta's and all that stuff. We're you know it's, it's cider week near you. We're trying to cover a few bases, but this still cider. It, it was a very interesting idea, Steve. And I'd still like to talk about it a little more, you know, you know, like I said, 2011, some people were only making still ciders, and it seemed that, I think mostly from draft, the, the getting your cider on draft, people really were pushing to have a carbonated, sparkling cider, you know. So who, who else right now in, in your circle is making a still cider? Uh, most, most producers in the Finger Lakes are making still ciders at this point, and um, I think all of them, all of us would credit Eves as the one who set the bar for us really high. I mean, they're all the Hill cider um, ever since the first time I had it years ago has, has just set the bar. And autumn I, is such an evangelist of still cider. Yeah. I mean, she really, she always, she wants uh, everyone to know like what an amazing experience it is. Yeah. And, and I know some wine, wine writers have recognized it too. And, and I mean, if this, if this cider were a wine, People would be paying three times as much per bottle happily. It's just incredible. You know, Peter, one thing, when you said that you, you felt that these still ciders are, are some ways better pairing with all foods than wine, does that have to do with the, the alcohol level? Yes. Um, 
When I was in the wine industry, um, oh, or while I was in the wine industry, I was searching for wines that are lighter in alcohol, uh, and um, I was drinking more and more white wines, uh, rosés and white wines, um, also like Beaujolais because they're they they're lighter in alcohol. Beaujolais are more like twelve point five percent alcohol um, versus like a like a Rhone wine, which is like a you know fourteen five or fifteen percent alcohol. These uh, the ciders are are somewhere between I don't know five percent alcohol to about eight percent alcohol. So it's half the alcohol of of wine, and it makes you feel lighter. You know, you can drink a whole bottle by yourself, and you're not you're not so tipsy. You don't feel uh, you don't feel it the next day. Um, I, I feel that drinking cider is a little bit easier on the body than the wine, for sure. And then for for health conscious people, I know we're not going to talk too much about the cider making process. That's another show with us, Steve. Um, but some people talk about you know potential with beer that there's brewer's yeast can you know in, influence like you know rheumatoid arthritis or something. Um, are all the ciders that we're tasting are they all, are they all made with like wild yeast or are you guys using certain yeast to, to make the fermentation? Yeah, no, I use different yeasts for different ciders. This year, um, most of my tanks are are using wild ferment. There are some ciders that I've made previously from certain orchards that I use pitched yeast in, and I'm using those again for continuity. Yeah. But is, is there a health benefit, I mean, t- to cider? I mean, it tastes good. It helps my appetite. I mean, lower alcohol. Helps my digestion. I, I, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but for sure, when you drink. You have to say that first. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you feel good the next day. So that's that's the other reason why I really got into cider is because towards the end of my career in the wine industry, I was drinking a lot of lighter style wines, which are Beaujolais, the Loire Valley wines, the Jura wines. So cold climate wines were really my thing. And then I discovered cider and cider is like the ultimate wine because it's really the lightest alcohol and you can you can drink a lot of it, and you don't you don't pay for it the next day. Brandon, yeah, I, I, I just to jump in, like I would say that I've had my fair share of hangovers, but when I drink Cascale, which is uh, you know barely carbonated, I feel fantastic the next day. Uh, so there could be could be something there to the you know still carbonated thing, you know. Great. And then again, uh, Steve, this last bottle we're drinking. Russet Dabinet, South Hill Cider. Yeah, this last bottle, it's another still cider. 50% of the apples that are in there of uh, are Dabinet. Actually, 50% of the juice that's in there is Dabinet. Dabinets aren't quite as juicy or productive as other apples, so there's probably two-thirds of that bottle is Dabinet apples. And then there's also Golden Russet, Ida Red, and Gold Rush apples. And... Um, yeah, Dabinet is a an apple that I think for us it came from England. I don't know the history. I'm I suspect they might have gotten it from France. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, based on the name. Um, but yeah, it's a great bittersweet apple that has great aroma, great texture, and um, yeah, again, it was a concept I just thought would make a great still cider. And so last year I made four barrels of it, and I matured it in uh, neutral 
uh, oak barrels, which some people pick up on and some people it just blends in with the rest of it. And, um, yeah. Well, it's, it's been a very educational show for me. I mean, tasting your, your Palm Sur Lee and the, the raw cider from Brooklyn Cider House. I, I, I was aware of like the English tradition of a still cider. I, didn't, I never thought that uh, bass ciders were actually still, and then you'd aerated them. Uh, shout out to my friend David importing Barica from Basque. You know, there's a lot of that flavors going on. But I want to just jump to Brennan. One reason you, you're, you've been on the show is you, you are a, a trademark uh, attorney, Quick advice for cider makers and brewers out there about their labels, the names of their beers and ciders. What, sh- what should all these guys do? Because they're investing money in their brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just you know, do a little research on the front end. You know, if especially for the name of your cidery, uh, the name of ciders that are uh, you know packaged or your flagships. You know, just get on Google, get on. Uh, Whatever the the equivalent of beer advocate is, untapped, and you know, do a little research, see what's out there first. Uh, you just don't want to be in a situation where you're stuck getting a cease and desist, or worse, a lawsuit from somebody several years down the line, where you are, uh, you know, potentially in a situation where you have to change the name of your cidery. Which is why uh, Steve here is doing such a good job. <laughs> I know, I know and on that note, just go, look back. If you look in our archives, there's a great uh, beer trademark show with uh, Brendan from a little over a year ago. We really talked about it. One of our more popular shows. And now the last side of Maria, thank you for bringing this. And why did you bring this one? Uh, well, I wanted to bring a still English cider. And um, I've been traveling a lot, so I, I couldn't actually bring any from my own collection. But I just picked this up at Astor Wine and Spirits. It was the only still English cider they had. It's Hex, uh, which is a well-respected English cider maker in Somerset. Um, I've been there. It's a great little place. And one of the things, so I just went back to England um, back in August um, to visit my friends there and, and visit some cideries. And I've been so used to the Finger Lakes cider, which is really light and fruity and has a a certain acidity to it. It's very much aligned with the wine region where it is. Um, And the the English cider, it just brought me back. It's so chewy. It's like a really chewy, um, tannic experience. And I had forgotten. So I just kind of wanted to bring it back to that because this was my first experience of cider was still English cider. And it's so much more tannic than I think we're used to in the States. Mm-hmm. Can I talk about the cider freely? <clears throat> talk about it. Please, please. So, certainly, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, like, horse's ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's got tremendous amount of bread, brettromyces. So, it's... Uh, if, if you went to Cornell and learned um, enology, this is a no-no. Mm-hmm. But small amount is it actually brings out some complexity in wine and cider. But when it's too much of it, it's overbearing. It's it's for me it's it's, it's like faulty cider when it's this much, and you get that band aid and really like really funky animal sweaty animal type of character. Um, it does have bitter uh, character as well, which I like. I happen to like a little bit of bread in, in some of my wines and some of the cider. This, for me, is like 
over the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think with cider, Brett can very easily overpower all the aroma. It can become 100% of the aroma, which is not what you want. But with some red wines that have so much going on, a little bit of Brett, and it's like it's like fish sauce. I think. I mean, I always compare Brett. Don't, don't name to your fish son sauce. Brett. Yeah, right. <laughs> It'll be called a horse. No, ass. but I mean, you know, fish sauce. If you use it right in a combination with other flavors, can be the secret ingredient. Sure. But when that's all that you're tasting, it just doesn't work. I don't know. Though I mean, I got so used to this when I was over in England. Like this was the paradigm. It's just a very farmyard. Well, was it you that told me that they don't even have a word for Brett over there? Yeah, I never heard the word right. Brett until I came back to the states, and I was like, Brett, what's Brett? And it was just, it was just endemic. That that's what's happening in farmyard cider, and it does taste like farmyard, and I actually like it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's what you're used to. Too, I have a friend you know? that needs that. If it if it's not full of bread he doesn't even it, it's also what it. you're used to you know if, if you're used to something sour you, 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 you like it if you haven't had sour it, it, it's shocking it's like mm-hmm. that with beer and everything we are going to have to wrap up any final words from anybody plugs for events or when's Brooklyn Cider House opening well Brooklyn Cider House in New Post is open it's been open for for uh, um, three years now this is uh, the third year but Bushwick location is going to be open in one month. Um, but I, I wanted to actually um, go back to Eve's Cider um, because until I had Eve's Cider, actually, I have never had a good American cider before. Um, so I, I do want to say that um, Eve's Cider really changed uh, my impression of American cider because up until that point for me it was really the the Spanish cider that was spectacular and I I didn't really have anything from America that was spectacular until I had Eve cider and that touched me in a way that wow it could be American cider but really spectacular but also, I do want to say that, you know, Steve Sider, I probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't Steve, because Steve also made a cider that I, I had at Wasail that also touched me. Wow, this this guy is making some real deal cider. So, you know, South Hill Cider is really making incredible cider. Great. All right. You guys all good? Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, Thanks for coming on, everybody. Thank you. Thanks Thank you. Maria, Peter, Brandon. Thanks, and uh, Steve for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. Check us out again. It's still Cider Week NYC. Cider Feast, our events on Saturday, October 28th. Brooklyn si- Brooklyn uh, Kitchen, not Brooklyn Cider House yet. Next time, uh, Jimmy's number 43.com. And uh, everybody, thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy, our engineer, David Tadashore. And thanks for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.